0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Hangouts Movie Podcasts. We kind of flip the titles back and forth there. Uh, we have fun here and uh, we've been having a lot of fun lately. And we're going to keep having fun because we have a very special episode today. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is my co host, Gina Versa.
1: Hey, good to uh, see you. I just saw you last night, but seeing you again.
0: Yes, the last night and the night before, uh, we had a, <laughs> a, a fun weekend with our our buddy kale uh, at the youth critic go check him out good pal good friend good movie thoughts even when we disagree and uh my car is all good now the the banana show is (laughs) back in action we're we're ready to rock and roll and uh, we just saw manhunter which we'll talk a little bit about in a second but the main topic of discussion today is uh, a twitter pal who's became a real life pal filmmaker liam o'donnell welcome to the show how are you
2: uh thank you for having me diego and gene uh, i'm doing great i'm doing great on this sunday uh afternoon movie hangout
0: no no it's monday morning don't tell them <laughs>
1: breaking the illusion
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah well it's good to, it's good to see you again man uh we've barely been able to meet up in person because of covid we've uh we've been shooting the shit on twitter for a while about a lot yes. of stuff um before we get into like, because I got a lot of questions we want to talk to you about, but, you know, we're just here to hang out and have fun and talk about stuff. But uh, what's been going on? How are you? What, how, how is life treating you? We always ask our guests, like, are you doing good? Is there anything we can do to help?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I definitely, I think I, I, I fit with the rest of uh, society when I, I was really feeling great in like May and June this year. Uh, i was you know we were we were joking about shark boy summer um i i was i was felt like i was coming out of a cocoon and and life was back um july things started to fizzle in uh as the reality of the the covid situation and then also some of my projects having difficulty uh getting off the ground um so yeah the last two months have definitely been a crash back down uh to reality but I feel like now we're we're coming out of the summer and and into into fall, and uh, there's been some exciting developments even just in in this weekend. I got some some pretty great feedback on some stuff. So, you know, it's just part of the the business part of life the ups and downs, uh, peaks and valleys. And um, I'm feeling like I'm starting to rise up again. You know.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, it's. It's been an up and down year, so it's good to hear that people are at least finding some wins out there, you know? I don't don't think it's going to be, like, solid ground anytime soon for any of us, but...
2: You got to celebrate the wins as they come, and even if that's just, like, a single email coming back that someone really liked a script or a draft, it's like, savor it, because you know, my, my wife would always kind of say to me, well, it's trash till it's cash. And I was like, (laughs) you know, yes, that's true. You shouldn't go out and spend the money, but you do need to, uh, you know, if you only celebrate the things that get made and, and, and make you money in this, then you're, it's, you're going to have a really tough stretch in between. So, uh, I try to, I try to kind of stay level, but, um, enjoy the, you know, the wins as they come
1: course no that's
0: a
2: great
1: perspective
0: yeah 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 and speaking of perspective uh people have a lot of perspective on movies on Mm -hmm. the the film twitter sphere for better or worse but uh we always like to ask people what they've been watching before we get into the main subject of the day uh so Liam o'donnell what have you been watching
2: so yeah we i've been tweeting a little bit about this i generally don't tweet anything negative and i try to even not say anything negative on podcast because um it, you know i've i've been affected so negatively by criticism and when i was younger that I, I try not to put that out there but i do think justice league uh the theatrical thing it's a little safe for an industry professional to talk about because the people that made it don't like it so um <laughs> you know i saw charles rovin kind of saying like it was such a huge mistake to open on that um cg'd mustache you know, phone thing of Henry Cavill. So, um, I agree with Charles. Um, and so, but I, I, I was doing a bunch of, um, superhero sort of research. Um, you know, like we'll get into it later with the Skylines and Skyline four. So I was kind of catching up and I, I never, didn't have a chance to watch the Zack Snyder one when everyone else was talking about it. i'm generally like a month to two months behind on the on the zeitgeist and uh and so i did man of steel again which uh, i really kind of blew me away as to how well that movie's aged aesthetically like it is shot differently than everything else um in the genre and i i still look at like the action in that smallville battle and i kind of don't know how they did some of the stuff and it just it has an impact and an otherworldliness that um I think is still worth kind of studying. Um, and it's also weird because I remember my wife said this at the time, because I I was, um, I was raised with the Donner film. So the Jonathan Kent stuff bothered me. Uh, and, and maybe from a writer, I think this happens to us a lot when, when you're kind of come from writing is that you get so hung up on story and distracted story that you kind of will let that like blind you to craft and filmmaking. And like, you, you kind of have to watch things twice and, and separate the parts of your mind that like okay that part of the story didn't 100% work for you but like still break down what they're doing with the camera and break down you know the the craft that's being put into this that, to this you know beast because now that I'd already kind of you know obviously had some distance to it at the time, my wife was like, this is kind of like a Skyline superhero, Superman movie. And and I really watched it this time. I was like, it, it does have like a lot of the blue lens flares. And the world engine is very reminiscent of the people getting sucked up into the air with the gravity waves. And it's got like a real mean streak to it, obviously, with like the fields of bones and just being like, there's this real genocidal mania running through the, the the you know the 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 lifeblood of that movie that I really enjoyed at this time. So, Man of Steel was definitely you know um, worth the revisit. And I also thought I really like like even complaining about that Jonathan Kent thing, but like the the script structure, like Goyer is quite good at always having this propulsive structure, even when he's doing flashbacks in his narrative, it has that Batman begins kind of like chugga, 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 chugga pacing that I really like. And, um, and we talked about this a little bit. I just think the world engine is maybe, you know, everyone makes fun of superheroes. is like, there's a beam in the sky at the end of the movie. I think it's like the only one that really looks like it could destroy the world. It's not just a bullshit like CG stand-in. It's like the size of it, the impact of it, the sound, the score of those scenes. It's like, oh, that that could definitely destroy Earth. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, that was my Man of Steel ranking. I went on to the Batman versus Superman extended cut, which is definitely improvement because it has more Superman. Um, and I think that having that balance really helped a lot. I did miss the Man of Steel kind of aesthetic. Like, I felt like they could have kept a little bit more of that but it it is a real kind of hard turn back into uh, more of Snyder's traditional style. And then um, Snyder's justice league was like the first time, like halfway, like the first half, I was kind of like this four, three is really odd. And (laughs) um, it was interesting though, because his compositions hold up. Whereas like, you know, every time I've done something spherical and you're cropping into the four, three, there's like, Always just bullshit right beneath the, the lens, you know, like oh, slide it up here because, you know, there's there's fucking um, you know grip tape all over the set, like right at the <laughs> bottom, or you know there's all it's like right out of frame, everything's falling apart. I mean that's like even with with the skyline movies and the the digital legs on the the aliens, it was like it's constantly like if I just blow in one to two percent here, it'll save me a VFX shot. So I'm always kind of doing that. So the fact that you know his four three you know obviously there was a ton of visual effects to to on them but it still is very impressive that they hold up to that kind of um striking nature and and but it wasn't really until afterwards I watched Justice League with you know the theatrical cut of justice League that I realized why he did it because now anytime you're putting something like online or it's ever put anywhere, you'll instantly be able to tell what's his and what was the theatrical like hmm. he's kind of like, for perpetuity, made them two completely different movies that you can't just mistake for one another. And I thought that that was quite brilliant, especially, you know, to have this thing kind of taken away from you and um, and reshot as much as it was. Um, I thought that that, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I thought that that was kind of probably the long game because the long game is these movies live, like, in our zeitgeist, like, digitally. Like, they become... These gifts and and uh, and they they're on Tumblr and they, that that's where they go after they play and because this one was going right to streaming, you might be like, why is it in an IMAX format right to streaming? Streaming, it's like because that's where it lives forever, and uh, and now he's kind of distinctly made them separate, and um, yeah. So I guess that was a very long answer to your question, but um, <laughs> to the to the 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 one things I was saying was like. There's actually stuff in the reshoots that I enjoy some of them and I get why they were pitched and done because if the mandate of the studio is, hey, man, make this two hours, you're going to have to figure some things out. But um, it does it does seem like like someone should have had like a little less ego to be like, you know what, man, like, let's just leave that Aquaman village scene as it is like, you know, (laughs) like that his face doesn't match shot to shot. Like, let's just keep it as it It doesn't, it doesn't change the quality of the movie at all for what the little like jokes and reactions that they added in. And I think that that's where some of that lack of care is in that movie on the reshoots where it's like, I get shooting them and trying it and even doing the CG on the mustache and being like, look, man, it's just not there. Let's lose that. You know, do you bleed line? He, He, his accent slipped. you know the 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 face is all fucked up like (laughs) let's just go back to what they had and live to fight another day and so there's all these little places where even if you did it it, it's like it's a great like lesson for filmmakers just look at it and be like because I've done a ton of little pickup reshoots where I've actually didn't have the actors and um and had to get really creative on how to get around it you know like um, there's one shot in Beyond Skyline where Frank is it's like a POV shot where he turns and looks at an alien coming into the room and so I could I didn't have Frank back for this so I just put on the the black tank top and I held a friend's baby and we did it in alien vision and fucked my face up because it was all the the alien POV so you just have to get creative and if it didn't work I would have said no it doesn't work but like it's just fast enough and and blurry enough that it that you can get away with it um so yeah there's just that that was I think it's a great um thing for any anyone interested in filmmaking to watch those two back to back and I actually think it's better to watch the longer one first
0: that's okay see that that's interesting I mean we could do a whole podcast about like whether or not like which version you should watch first Mm -hmm. or at all etc and um yeah yeah, it's, it's uh, that. It's just a super interesting experiment. You went well, yeah, because was-
2: but when you're editing, you're starting with the assembly, right? So you're mm-hmm. starting with the longer one. So watch the longer one, then watch the shorter one, and then think about what they did with it, and then in your head, kind of assemble what your ideal version would be. And that's that's like that's pretty much a lot of what your job is in post. Um, you know, when you're when you're a filmmaker. So I I just think it's like it's a really unique opportunity that that happened as like a teachable thing to kind of uh an exercise to go through
0: no that's cool uh we i did not watch anything nearly as interesting but i did watch the greatest film ever made last night uh manhunter the new beverly uh first time seeing on the big screen i cried it's perfect it's the greatest film like it just i i could talk about it forever but it just is that's all I gotta say. Uh, Gene, what, what did you watch? And then we'll hop into a sure. full-on uh, Liam O'Donnell discussion.
1: Yeah, um, I'll just be quick because um, I thought it was really brilliant. The new Candyman from uh, Nia da Costa. and it was, um, I, I loved it, I saw it at the uh, Chinese before I went to go see uh, Manhunter. And yeah, I just, I just fell in love. I was like captivated by it. Um, um, I, I just, I was, um, didn't, didn't want it to end and, just all the twists and turns, um, how they add onto the first movie because really the first movie is all you need to see before going into this one, more or less. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was just um, I was just really blown away. Um, I thought they did such a good job. You guys, you guys will have to see it and I think you'll both enjoy it.
2: Yeah, yeah I'm really, I- forward to it. I was saying that, uh, seeing some of the the numbers that it did and like that movie would have been huge if it yeah. came out last year.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Adjusting for pandemic and pandemic, uh,
2: box office. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would have been, you know, like, like just a huge, yeah. Like uh, invisible man type of numbers that everyone would have, it's cause we're also primed for it and it is, it did still do quite well. And, and that's, that's exciting. But, um, yeah it was just interesting kind yeah, of
0: only like low budget movies like that i think are going to do like well i think the big stuff's going to bomb for a while and it's right. like not even anyone's fault it's just yeah everything around us you yeah. know and hopefully some suits understand that because yeah or it's just the reality at the moment
1: or yeah or less like clickbait articles about why you know a suicide squad was a box office disappointments like what's well, on streaming and there's a pandemic out there, you know. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. But uh yeah, let, let's get into it, man. Um so how did you start? I I, I like to think I know you pretty well now. I don't mm-hmm. know how you got into the industry. Uh can you talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I I I think the it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question that the older I get, the more goes farther back um, because I really just like thought, uh, well, I moved out to LA with my friend and um, we stayed on my brother's couch at the Oakwood and Burbank because he was doing a play in downtown LA at the time. So I graduated from BU, my, my friend, Matthew Santoro graduated from RISD. We, we stayed on his couch for like two weeks in the fall of 2004 and then got like a really cheap apartment near um <laughs> uh, oh what shaky's pizza in uh in <laughs> hollywood like on mansfield and um la brea um and uh in that area and and so that that's like uh, i came out there uh it helped to move out with a um, my, my friend who is from Rizzi is like a really talented graphic artist uh, motion graphics he was in the, the visual effects um, field while also you know being a, writer, a burgeoning writer and director himself um, but it, that helped open doors for a guy like me who was like it was like i wanted to be a writer but i didn't even really have anything really written i'd like written half a screenplay before i moved to la uh, and and so he, he opened doors for me and we kind of like would work on projects together and we ended up working for like a, a, a we call it like a pothead production company that would pay us and we eat and like burritos and uh those guys ended up they knew um greg and colin strauss and i started hanging out with them socially and pitching them ideas and then um, they needed a writer on a uh, ebay china commercial in a pinch. And I had pitched him a movie idea and he was like, yeah, that was good writing on that. So why don't you uh, write this treatment? And so then I just kind of showed up to their uh, place, which is Hydraulics Visual Effects. I just showed up there every day and uh, and kind of was like, I I, I guess I knew a good thing when I saw it. I was like, these guys are making stuff. And I just show up and then they were like, what are we paying you? And I was like, "Uh, nothing. And so they started me like on a really small salary, but it was more than I'd ever been paid before. And I would just kind of uh, constantly develop stuff for them. And that ended up becoming kind of its own little wing of the company. And we did, um, you know, like, uh, so we were, we were writing our own script and then AVPR came up across their desk. And so I just kind of worked with them on that for like months uh, on the pitch. It was one of those things where we kind of got the script early because they, they they're a visual effects company and they were getting the VFX bid And then their agent got them the meeting and uh, they kept pushing the meeting. So we just kept kind of working on this thing over and over again. And so they came in uh, with a really, you know, kind of stacked treatment and visual um, presentation that my roommate, Matthew had worked on. So it was like the four of us were, were really kind of in a bunker on that for a few months. But I was going to say back to the beginning, when I say, now that you think back, you're like, well, So my uncle um, wrote a book about my grandfather's case in the 80s. In this movie, it ended up getting optioned. And my grandfather was a a Boston cop who then became uh, an attorney and sued the Boston Police Department on a wrongful death case. And so my um, uncle, who didn't really have anything else going on, wrote a book about it that then got optioned and made into a TV movie starring Richard Crenna, as my uncle uh dylan baker actually plays my dad in the supporting role um and so that was like in my life but i wasn't really all that close with my uncle back then it was like 1986 i was four um and he left um show business to go back into politics and then ended up getting pulled back in for the west wing as a producer and eventual writer so when I was in DC in college, I went there for a semester um, to work in the Capitol because I thought I was going to go into politics. He was actually there filming a show with Josh Brolin called Mr. Sterling. And so I got to visit them on set and like meet Josh Brolin and make like the obvious Goonies like, huh. and uh, <laughs> this guy was like, this is, this is before the, the Brolin Renaissance. You know, this is, the, this is post-Mod Squad, but pre country for old men uh 2002 um and so he he was really really kind and generous to me and i think but i when i go back and i go like oh you know it like nepotism has many forms and some of it is just access you know like just being able to go on set of a television show for a day and be sit next to the showrunner was like holy shit this is this is uh something that's like possible and you just kind of saw all the crew working really hard and everyone of course is being nice to you because you're the the showrunner's nephew and uh and it was like uh, that was probably the thing that made me feel like it was safe to move to LA with so little experience and and so little things and it wasn't like anything that I've done here has any overlap with what my uncle does as far as West Wing or any of those things but I think just just getting access um, and seeing that from like a front row seat, I think it was was when I go back now, I go, oh, that's probably why I was so, you know, eager to get out there and think that um, that this could somehow be possible. Yeah,
1: um, going off of that, you know, you kind of, you know, you see like the makings of the film. What about like growing up? Like, what were your like inspirations? Like, um, I mean, you mentioned Goonies. I wonder if that's one of the films oh, yeah. that like inspired you, but. Yeah, any like sort of uh, like sci- science fiction films from the 80s that really like dwelled into your brain, you know, that came out making these movies?
2: Definitely, um, yeah, my, my next door neighbors growing up were like people that they actually would spend money on those VHSs and so they would let me kind of, that was like my video store, they would let me borrow it and I borrowed Goonies the most and my dog ate the cover off of it and it was really huh. embarrassing to bring that back but um that was that was definitely a favorite um all the kind of you know normal staples of that spielberg lucas Cannon were like you know indiana jones raiders um star wars but i also really and i i i think i have this kind of thing happen to me a lot where like i'll like the weird one from the mainstream person that doesn't connect with everybody else and it's howard the duck like it's the one <laughs> i watch the most and mm-hmm. i it took me till like like a few years ago when I re-watched it, when it came out on DVD, that I realized how much of Howard the Duck is in the Skyline franchises. Okay. Because if it's like, if you watched it like 45 times from kindergarten to third grade and continue, like I still have the VHS that I would watch, like, okay, there's like, you know, the, the dark overlords of the universe are, are very close one to one. I didn't design the tankers in the first movie, but I did... I think I did come up with the tentacle coming from the hand off of the design. And that's very similar to the, um, to the dark overlords and Howard, the duck. And, and the fact that I think it's like five movies in one, and it constantly is changing its genre. And it like, all of a sudden there's like, okay, now we're a police chase movie at at like, you know, act two. Actually it's like act six in the, in the back half of this weird film. And it's constantly kind of chugging into and, and finding grooves in weird places where, they'll all of a sudden end up at a restaurant that is like sushi and, um, uh, and like short order cook stuff. And it, it goes completely mayhem. I think a lot of that kind of like, um, you know, got absorbed into my gray matter and explains some of the things that like, like when I wrote Beyond Scotland, I didn't think it was like crazy. I was like, yeah, this is a normal movie. <laughs> this is going to, and then everyone's like, what the fuck? What kind of drugs were you on when you wrote that? I, was like, I, I wasn't. I, I, I thought I was making a, a, a typical good movie like Howard the Duck. Oh wait, that's not considered a great movie. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> well, there's like some really,
1: really great like visual effect shots in Howard the Duck. Like, you know, um, some of the stuff towards the end, with um, like you know when he's finding that it's been a while since I've seen Howard the
2: Duck, like the alien sort of like overlords yeah. Oh yeah, that looks pretty well. Yeah, it's incredible. It's uh, it's the optical stop motion effects, and um, but then they'll also have like a real great like nasty severed um, tentacle that's spewing green pus all over the place. Like yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely um, it. it all that stuff is in there for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, another thing that I know we definitely connected on with Twitter, because I think AVP3 was like the talk of the town at one point. Um, and this is after I'd seen Beyond it, Skyline. No,
2: it was not. It was never the talk of the town. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Well, in the film, in the film Twitter sphere, like some, someone I had think, mentioned, I like one of the alien, alien YouTube Account yeah. was like, who would you get? And I had just seen Beyond Skyline. And I was like, oh, get get this guy. I don't know. But the like the vibe of Beyond Skyline yes. was like ideally what I'd want out of an AVP3. Oh. And you know, you 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 have a history with that franchise, and I don't want to, you know, maybe open up an old wound. No, as, no, no. Uh rough to say, but like, you know, it, it was, I think it's fair to say it was not that well received. Uh, you'll be happy to note that the podcast we did for the retrospective on it uh, is one of the oh. most listened to and viewed podcasts on the channel.
1: Nice. So if you're watching this on YouTube, um, <laughs> Liam is showing us this really cool uh, AVP2 uh, Japanese poster. That's yeah, really right,
2: right, right next to my desk. Uh, it's, it's fun. Oh. Yeah, I, I'm good. I'm good with my relationship to the movie because, um, you know, I, it, was, it was my film school, you know what I mean? So... Um, but yeah, no. I um, sorry. I was I was turning the camera, so I think I was slightly distracted from exactly what the question was. But <laughs>
0: well, I, I was just curious, like how how that that process was for you. Like how how what did you get out of it the most? Uh, what did that like kind of teach you? You you mentioned it was your film school, basically. Yeah, to teach you about the the filmmaking process. And uh, the one thing we did talk about was the AVP-3 treatment that, you know, it wasn't like a full script or anything like that. But like, because we're obviously huge fans of the property that like, if there was anything like you could pull from that, that you'd yeah. like, we're really proud of, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, AVPR, like I said, it, it's literally the first movie that I got to work on. And it was, uh, again, going back to that other, it was like the the, the ultimate front row seat to um, to a director because I was their kind of in-house um, creative consultant, I guess would be the word. Whereas I would be sitting with them and taking down their notes on the script and then writing up these very detailed script notes that then be going to the writer and to the studio and then going through that process of getting that feedback from the studio and kind of having to make these really convincing arguments for things. Um, but it was, a, it was a really weird process because that was, um, and, 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 I, and I see a lot of people, this could go into an overarching, we could go on a real lost tense. but there's a lot of people talking right now about like how great things were pre-MCU. And I, I, I'd say like, if you're Sam Raimi, they were great. Because you have like a ton of power, but like I, I, my memory of like AVPR and those movies was like, we literally were told like, fuck the fans, we're making this for a general audience. And uh, I think the big change the following year with Iron Man was like, make the movie the hardcore fans want to make and they're going to be inv- evangelical about it. And it's going to spread throughout, you know, the the marketplace. And so it was just a completely different. You know, like mandate from the top. They were just like, make it for this amount of money and try to make it fresh and new. And who cares about all of this old franchise arcana that you guys are so obsessed with? That, that that's that's nerdy stuff. No one cares. And that was kind of like like some of the arguments were like, can we change the color of the predator's blood? It looks so '80s. And we're like. There's so many bigger problems with this movie. Can we not argue about the blood? Like, it's just got to be the same color blood. We're not changing the color of the blood. So there are little things like that that I go back and I'm like, that was crazy because there was, there was like I said, so many other more deep tissue and interesting things that we could have been spending our energy on to make the movie, uh, you know, better. Um, but I also, I, I do like... Um, The like ten minute predator movie within the movie, you know, I think that's like there's if you cut it down to like the wolf scenes, I'm really proud of of him as a predator uh, as a character. I think it was a it was a really cool idea that was in, um, you know, Shane Salerno's draft that I think we improved, and I think um, the 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 actor um, Ian White who played the predator the wolf uh, predator is a really cool addition to the series. He's the, that's the thing I'd say I'm most proud of, of, of the movie. And um, from an education standpoint, it would be like, we'd spend weeks pre-visiting. Uh, I wasn't actually pre-visiting Joshua Cortez, who co-wrote Skyline was, but we'd be in the the trailer while the brothers are like shooting other stuff. And we'd be trying to take the studio notes, their notes, and come up with previs action scenes and then present it to them and then present it to the studio. So I was in the middle of that kind of process. And they were like, that the, the aliens, the predator need to fight. They can't just like we had it in the sewer that it was kind of a, um, a really kind of tense um, cat and mouse sort of thing where they never ended up fighting because we're like, there's a problem is that when an alien fights something, it, it usually kills it. And, uh, and there, so we got kind of like, we had this really elaborate previs that got scrapped. They, the studio would not approve it and we're shooting it like in a few days. And so I, I kind of went with that that idea of them disappearing under the water, and the wolf kind of coming up with the two aliens in his arms, and and I was like, alien fans are going to hate me on this because literally, why aren't the tails just going through his chest? But it was like because it's not like we need to we need to do <laughs> <choose> something, <laughs> and so and so uh, I, I I kind of pitched that and then uh, to everybody, and it and it got through, and it and I think it it, it is kind of the coolest kind of uh pose of the movie so uh I, I, that that was another kind of like uh trial by fire and in and, and and fun memory of making that one
1: well yeah i know that seems like a lot of you know learn a lot on that um i was gonna ask a question about the first skyline but i got a little fixated on what they wanted the blood to be like the predator's <laughs> blood is like green you know, I, I don't know. I'm just it, it was just like,
2: it was just one of those, like, like, just like maybe like someone just throwing a grenade on the script on a thing that was just like, uh-huh. it didn't have a better suggestion, but it oh, was okay. like, that's so 80s. And it was kind of like, yeah, what? well, you know, I, I just don't think that that attitude would exist nowadays. Nowadays, it's like everyone in the project would be like kind of going in and, and, and thinking about the old movies and how to craft something that built from them and and and, you know like i we we were the ones that came up with the ending that kind of like tried to tie it to the alien franchise a little bit more Mm -hmm. because the original script they just like it just ended on the nuke blast and that was it and it was like oh well they have this predator gun maybe that's something so there's a lot of different places where we're trying to kind of make it more of uh, something that we felt fit within the tone of the the two franchises but we were up against it um, kind of at every turn and um and then the 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 kind of infamous um you know the di of the movie which there's there's kind of varying stories but the the movie was definitely not shot that dark that is that was a a di pass uh daniel pearl did a great job on the movie I, i i really don't like it when people blame him for the look because uh, I watched the movie for like a year and a half because it got pushed from August to December and I watched all the dailies and it was filmed on, on film and it looked gorgeous. And Daniel Pearl, if you know his work, you know, it, it, he always looks good, uh, but it ended up being, you know, uh, riding the line of, of darkening things in the D.I. and, and it, it looks good on the like utmost great screens, but it really did not look good on the average kind of uh, presentation. So I think that that is really kind of what happened is that it was DI'd in a place where it looked brighter. And then when it came out, it was darker. Um, so that that ended up to me being like, forget the reviews, forget everything else. That's the, the big kind of like um, the issue of that movie. And, and um, I still think that they should uh, do another you know, uh, another pass on the DI and re release that and, and do kind of a, a, a an anniversary version. I tried to get um Greg and Colin interested in that on the 10th year anniversary, and um, there was uh, no takers. Um, and so yeah, maybe the 20th, which is kind of scarily approaching quickly. Oh, really? Um, so that that that's still something that I feel like at least you know, if we could have that that part cleaned up, it would um, it, it would be. It would help the legacy of that movie over the long run, I think. Oh, and then the AVP-3 treatment, totally overblown on my standpoint. It was really just, um, again, I'm in the trailer with Joshua Cortez, who ended up co-writing Skyline. And I just kind of got this idea um, to set it like 50 years into the future in like a sort of pre-apocalyptic Africa where global warming is kind of changing everything on earth. And the, the kind of long and short of it was that you find out the queen from A V P one has been let out of the ice and has created a new hive kind of uh, in some sub-Saharan Africa so that you'd have all these crazy um, hybrids, you know, like lion, lion aliens and tigers and bears. Oh my, you know, like that. <laughs> I just wanted to have like a bunch of different ones and then you'd have uh, naturally predators coming down to be like, this is the ultimate safari. It's super hot and there's all this different game for us to get on. And, um, and because it was 50 years in the future and earth is kind of a sinking ship that there there's people that, that the heroes of the story were actually building like spaceships. And that was part of like an exodus to leave the planet so that the third act ended up with just, you know, one predator, one alien and, and one like Dutch type of human guy. Uh, in a cat and mouse, like, uh, you know, setting traps and trying to kill each other on a spaceship, which I felt like was a great kind of like ending of alien ending of predator ending of the AVP franchise like that's the, the, the way to end it uh, to that but so I was proud of, of those elements but like AVP galaxy asked me to send it to them. in, um, I think around when beyond skyline came out and I was just like, I would have to rewrite this like another month just to make it presentable because something you wrote when you were, you know, 10, uh, 15 years ago, is just, there's, there's all these different things that I would, you know, change now and things that don't make sense and add up. But I do like that kind of general inspiration, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then kind of going off of that, you know, you EVPR, um, you know, you go into uh, Skyline. Can you talk a little bit about what was it like making Skyline coming off of the previous film and just kind of like
2: what you learned and yeah. Yeah. um, You know, I I, I just was talking with um, Scott Weinberg on his overhated podcast about the first Skyline. So it's fresh in my mind and um, it was a lot of like, so we shot AVPR in August 2006 to through like, I think October 2006 and then the movie didn't come out until Christmas 2007. So in that time there was just like, you know, it's like CinemaCon you guys are just seeing, like all the studios are like, this is the greatest movie ever made. They talk it up, they talk to directors. We are just getting crazy meetings and offers on everything. Like we, we, I, I got to read Justice League Mortal, that, cause like George, they were negotiating oh, nice. with George Miller and you know, obviously he's not cheap. So they had other directors reading and taking meetings. So I got to read that and like we, we you know, worked on that as a pitch and everything we did like Terminator 4 Gears of War it was like every big project that was happening in that time frame I got to read the script and and try to you know figure out a take for them on and it's it's really exciting but it takes about a month and sometimes 2 months out of your life and then you don't get it and you just have like this hard drive full of takes on these other properties that you know you can't do anything about and so I think, um, and then that kind of still continued th- through most of, uh, I'd say like 2008. And so around the time of 2009, it had been, you know, about three years since we shot that movie, there was a lot of like, let's just fucking do it, bro. Like that kind of energy, you know, or you ever like have those weekends where you're like, we should just go to the desert and make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that that, was uh a lot of the spirit of um of the first skyline and the fact that I think they had just bought the red cameras um the fall before for uh we did a 50 cent music video called Get Up, which we did like a post-apocalyptic thing. And um and they uh did it with Claudio Miranda, who is like, you know, the greatest DP uh um that uh, I've ever worked with. And he was awesome and he was really, really good on the red. And, um, and so that kind of also got this, like the juices flowing of like, we own the cameras, the lenses, let's just do something ourselves. So there was a lot of that kind of energy just into the first skyline of like, let's do something quick. Let's just go out and do it. We don't need to ask permission. Um, they uh, they have all the equipment and we, I lived in the, fir- the fourth floor of that building and um, Craig lived on the top floor. So, and I'd been shooting Uh, with my roommate Matthew we've been shooting like our own like small sci-fi stuff on the roof illegally and stuff like that so I kind of was like knew what the location would look like and it helped figuring out the story and it was just like we we did a deal with the building for a pretty reasonable fee to have the run of the building for any like shoot so that was really like it helped you just knowing that your what your limits were like once we if we had tried to do something where you know they went to the marina or the park like in beyond skyline it would have just like blown the the budget and we couldn't really have figured it out but because it was all going to be in this one building it did help in very quick order of just constantly kind of coming up with different obstacles to cut them off and keep them trapped there and uh and so yeah it was it was a really fun process a quick process to to write it and then make it and it had that uh real kind of collaborative I guess it was it felt like a first time for me because even though I was I was helping out on AVPR I was kind of like the the like what is that guy's job guy in the trailer that people were like didn't quite know and I was 24 years old so this was like um Skyline was like oh I'm the co-writer I'm the producer I can actually talk to the actors and and uh and make suggestions to the directors and kind of be in the middle of, of everything. And so it was a great experience for me. And then it was a great experience, like, you know, um, that it got picked up with relativity and universal. And it was just this big rising action of like, Oh my God, all my dreams are coming true. It's getting this worldwide premiere. It's uh, comic con. Um, it's, it's got ads during the world series and NFL games and, uh, and we have this great, awesome premiere in downtown LA, the blue carpet premiere, which is like, come on, this is fantastic. And then the first, you know, then it's not screened for critics like, hmm, well, I what wonder what, what, what that's about. And then um, the first reviews were like particularly savage on the writing because it is admittedly like a really great looking movie. You know, so those guys um, did deserve their um that if you're going to critique anything, you'd critique the writing. So it it did feel like this really personal failure because, you know, I kind of came up with the idea and pitched it to these guys and they used all of their capital on it. And, uh, and then it comes back and it's like, yeah, you guys were good, but this guy, he really sucked, you know? And so Josh and I felt the the brunt of that um, sting, I think, uh, when it, when it came out to such a nasty reception
0: uh well i don't know if we've talked about this before but that was the first movie i ever went to a midnight showing for like <laughs> opening no. weekend yeah yeah like i had been to some some early screenings and stuff like that but that was the first one i was like it was a couple of mutual friends of gene and ours were like let's go to a movie what's, what's playing uh, i was uh, the skyline that yeah yeah that looks pretty cool you know and then we all go see it you know and uh i will say it is a very good looking movie. I didn't know it was shot yeah. on the red cameras. That's that's, that's those are like shot, very early, right?
2: It was the second we had just gotten the second chip upgrade, which is I think called the Mysterium or something, which is why all that nighttime footage is like golden and like you can actually see in people's windows and stuff. Like no one had, we had never seen anything really like that before. Um, and then what, what were you gonna say? Would, what 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 would do you like the ending or did you like the, saying, the ending? Fuck, fuck is... this
0: legit why i was like if they make a second one like i'm there day one and my <laughs> okay. friends thought i was crazy I, you know, I, I was that's why I we insane.
2: get along that's why we get along yeah that, yeah, that was yeah. exactly no, like that
0: was like oh that's the fucking movie right there right and you know but like you know when you're younger everything's either the best thing in the world the worst thing in the world and now like having re- revisited the original skyline for the first time in a long time i it really impressed me what you guys were able to do on the budget yeah. and like the right writing around the location like I don't think people understand that's it sounds like an easy thing to do like oh yeah you got a room you just get some people in there yeah like that's like difficult to do so props to you like sincerely because that that that's
2: that was the worst that 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 was what we that's why beyond skyline is like i'm not using the same location twice like it's like everything (laughs) everything in the movie is like barreling through like people are always running walking like mm-hmm. talking on the go, the whole thing was just a total reaction to like, God, I fucking hate it when people are stuck in a room, kind of like mumbling to each other about what to do, and I just wanted it to be like a decisive, propulsive um, movie. But yeah, that was that was quite um, tricky with the uh, with the first one, and 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 I do think um, I do think it works better because I noticed like I always like to see how these movies work over time, and I think people that saw that one younger definitely like it more one because um, it's you know it's it, some of the things just work but it's also a weird movie where it doesn't have like a normal structure in the ending is like wait that's it there's not that like that big turn uh, of events which was really what we wanted to do like I felt like the the actual additional ending was something we found along the way but the kind of inspiration for the end was like we just wanted to get them sucked up onto the ship at the end and like the aliens won and that was it and um uh we once we we were about to film the ship thing on the day what became like a half a page in the script moved into this like 5 minute sequence which ends up being my favorite sequence in the whole movie because it's so much visual storytelling and it's very very weird but you can still kind of track like what the emotions are that it works and i was the one who was like i still wanted more and um really you know, ask them to bring Scotty in to shoot these like motion storyboards. Cause I really wanted to, I was like, let's just do the fight. Let's have that. Let's have the Jared alien kill that last drone and like end on like at least like a, a more like glorious moment of a kill. Cause I felt the frustration that I think audience did too which was like, this was really the end of act two and the act three had to be like him getting her off the ship and having a glimmer of hope of what the future would be. And, um, and, you know, we just had run out of time and money. So we did this kind of like the storyboard things that would like give you a hint of where things would go. But um, yeah, I, I was talking to this too about like there was a lot of discussion about like really cutting the first act way down. Um, but again, I think it would have, we would have need to, needed to have shot like a bigger, like two week reshoot of a new kind of third act, but it was just such an abbreviated timeline. Like we, we wrote this thing in November, 2009, we film it in February through like March and it's in theaters by November. It was insane, you know? And, and that was even one of those things where the studio came to us that summer and we're like you know, we didn't think we're coming out to the next year. And they're like, well, what about the 2012 slot? And you're like, whoa, okay. Like, you know, and they had more money for visual effects because everything had to go into overtime at that point. But it is one of those things that I feel like if it had had a slightly longer post, there probably would have been a bigger, uh, like you, you would have tested it and done a bigger reshoot and expanded more of that ending. Oh, I thought you had a question. Sorry. Oh no,
1: sorry. No, no. It's like, you know, that's um no, it's kind of caught me off guard because it's like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you have to like um, you know, really make like certain deadlines or make like the make the time. Cause yeah, if you like, yeah, I could imagine if you like pushed it, you know, to 2012, you know, there could have been additional sort of notes or anything.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely think there would have been because we didn't even do we did like a friends and family test screening, but I think it's a it's a it's a movie that plays really well if you have no um, preconception of it, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if it was like, um, I'm not saying it would have drastically changed the ratings or whatever, but I do think it's like if it was a midnight movie at like a, like a TIFF or something like that, and you had not seen the trailer with all of these big money shots, mm-hmm. and you've kind of come in thinking you're watching something small contained indie movie, and then all of a sudden, whoa, there's like aerial battles that was really how it played on the page, you know, and people really liked the script for that. It, it opened a lot of doors for Joshua and I. So it was like, it, once you, you do have to think about how things are going to be marketed. And that was another big lesson of that movie is that like, um, you know, they started asking us to record ADR lines of like, uh, you know, with the actors being like, we have to fight back. And it was like, that was never the idea <laughs> of this movie, but they, they did those lines for the trailer. They're not in the movie, but they just, put them into the trailer and uh, again uh, on on how things have changed from last decade to this decade i just don't think you don't see that as much i felt like you know when i was growing up you would get the bait and switch trailer quite a bit and now it's like with social media and uh, you're just not going to fool anybody anymore um and they they really tried to do the kind of like the 90s like yeah, let's just let's just kind of paint this in, in one way and it's gonna be another. You know, the other kind of famous one was the first AVP, like you know, having that big awesome flashback shot, but it's just the flashback. Um, so there's there's some of that kind of like old fast old fashioned, you know, huckster in the marketing of of Skyline. But I, I will have to say that the caveat is if they didn't market it that aggressively and that big, I never would have got to make these sequels. So I still have to, to give them props.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the sequels, I have to say uh, one of my favorite of the bait and switches is that infamous Alien 3 teaser where it's like oh, <laughs> in face, no one can hear you scream, but on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. And it's like, was, that's not... Was,
2: was that a bait and switch? Because I don't think it was. I think they thought that that was the movie they were going to make.
0: Hmm. Oh, I, I guess that that's kind of true but I mean yeah, like, like they, you know they, they, we, they were like oh, we know we're, not... we're just gonna
2: we're gonna make that movie and then they're like no actually we're not I mean I thought that that's what they thought they were gonna do and then but yes that is that is the classic like we'll give you what you want it's again and I think that that's the constant thing that people struggle with now is that like That there was more of a like, fuck, the audience doesn't know what it wants. We know what it wants was kind of a prevailing thing. And now, um, you know, with, with analytics and algorithms and everything, you know, the people behind the scenes are really trying to give the audience what they want. And some people can feel that, like in that catering to, and it, and it rubs people the wrong way, but there's not to say one's better than the other. It's just definitely the changes that I've noticed over the course of my career. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, marketing is like its own thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And, but it, and, and it would come in late, and I, and and so like like that's the thing, like all of a sudden at the eleventh hour, we're recording lines to put into the trailer, and it's kind of like it, you have to think about that as the filmmaker yourself. Like, how do you want this thing advertised? I mean, I actually wrote like I think it was like a two-page memo to the head of Relativity. <laughs> to to uh, to campaign for the tagline "Don't look up." Uh, I was like, they they wanted to do this like um, this long tagline that was like, in 2007 we put uh, radio waves into space. In 2009 they answered, and it was like th- they put that into the teaser of this movie, which uh, you can see the teaser has this kind of like totally disconnected, more of a Emmerich tone that's not the movie at all. And they wanted that, the tagline. I was like, we never have anything about these radio waves ever discussed in the movie. It's not the movie. I was like, we just want a simple thing that says like, it's coming from the sky. It's coming over above, don't look up. Because if you look up, you you, you get into the light and it's it's a little bit of a throwback to, you know, um, don't look at the light sort of vibe. And, and I, I I'll, I'll have to find it. I'll see if I still have it. Because it was like, literally like, the only time I, I think I used my political science background in filmmaking to do like a very persuasive argument. And at the end, they just said, fine, whatever. And it was, don't look up was the tagline.
0: No, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but moving moving into the sequel. So like, how does that lead to Beyond Skyline, which is a radically different film? Um, it's, that's another one I think that would fit the bill for like a midnight movie. Like, I mean, it's just, just kind of like a kick-ass, like, Real ride but you know there's there's a little more going on in terms of like the character relationships and stuff like that uh yeah what was it what was it like making that movie because that's your first time in the director's chair too right
2: yeah yeah so um that that's a little bit of that same like energy where you're like just have to get back on set and do something and so that movie you know there was a lot of talk about a sequel during the post of skyline um because it's such a good business model. Everyone was very excited about it. And um, Joshua and I kind of cracked this story that is still fairly much similar to what Beyond Skyline was, except they went, instead of crashing into Laos, they crashed in New York. And it ended with a very massive, like, kaiju battle um, that, you know, this would be like a $40 million version of what the story ended up being. And, uh, and so people liked it and it, it there was, th- but then of course, once the reception of skyline comes out, it all kind of, uh, at least deflated for a while. And I would get like, you'd move on to other projects, you're moving on to other things. And then you'd always have these meetings, especially at hydraulics where different people would come in and, and they'd ask, what about, you know, skyline 2?" And it'd be like, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And we kind of went into a couple different directions for two years. And it was like around 2012, I want to say 2013, that Skyline played on, it it ended its Netflix deal, which was one of the early instant uh, Netflix deals. And then it um, went on to like Spike TV or or sci-fi or something like that. And I watched it again and I was like, ah, I really love these creatures. I'd really love to like return to this world. And at that point, Greg and Colin were kind of, Moving on to other things, and so I, I kind of said to them like, "I'll just write the script, you know, off of this treatment, but if I can direct it." And the, and I kind of horse traded with them on another project that they had at Warner Brothers that they needed to bring a bigger writer on to get uh, more traction. So I was like, "I'll step aside on that and I'll just go write that." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah go go." So I you know again one of those things that didn't really maybe think it was going to happen, and um, and so I ended up you know, writing that script and uh, the big change was obviously not doing New York or there was even the early draft, it was Shanghai because the movie did so well in uh, Asia and uh, in Russia. And so there was a a little thing of trying to incorporate, you know, Asia and the second half. But when it was like visually what Shanghai was going to look like compared to LA in the first one, even though they're such different cities, I still felt like it was like city to city. It wasn't really that Big of a, you know, kind of change, and uh, so my wife is from Laos. She was literally born in Laos, um, and and moved to Colorado, uh, Montana, and then Colorado. So that's kind of always um, the stories of 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 that, and, and the secret war in Laos is is something that uh, you know talked about quite a bit in my house. And so it was kind of like, okay, well, we could still do something that goes to Asia, but goes to a place that like they don't normally go into movies and talks about something that I felt like had this weird relationship where you'd have um, kind of like, th- this is a, a, a people who have uh, undergone an aerial invasion before uh, with all of these bombs being dropped on them. You know, more, I think it was more bombs that ever been dropped uh, in the history of wars up until that point. And, uh, and, and that kind of unlocked the whole idea of these bunkers and and gave me my third act. Um, so that ended up being like what I was really excited about. And um, it's it's obviously quite difficult to, um, to at that point it was for us to shoot in actual Laos, um, but we had a connection um, to this studio in, in Indonesia, Infinite Studios, and went there for a scout. Um, and everybody everybody really liked the script and just even the the scout, like, they already had an existing set that we could refurbish for our bunkers and everything. So it all just started really lining up. And even that day there said, um, you know, what do you think about the rain guys for these two parts on it? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like that that's possible. And they're like, yeah, like they're, you know, they were just on this project that just fell through, which uh, ironically is, is the original night comes for us. uh, was going to be made hmm. in, in 2014, that version, you know, fell through and they had like a window that was open. So immediately flew to Jakarta to meet um, their manager and uh, and that ended up working out. And then that's like, that's like two months before we're even filming. And now all of a sudden this movie that I thought was already a really cool mix of like War of the Worlds with like Predator and Apocalypse Now. And now they're like, we'd love to choreograph fights for you, sir. And they're like calling me <laughs> sir too. And I've never done anything in my life. And I'm like, uh, yes, I would like you to do that as well. Yeah. Good, good, good sirs. And um, and so we, we ended up meeting um, in Jojakarta and flying out to the rice paddies together. And um, they're just kind of like, they're really great, humble guys but at the same time, kind of rock stars, you know, like wherever they go, especially in Indonesia, everyone's like, <gasps> and they've got like <laughs> the cool glasses. Yayan's got this amazing made of hair. Uh, you know, eko has got the, the rock star sensibility. And so it was just a lot of fun going around with them in general. But then we get up to the rice paddy and they're like, and I kind of map out how I saw the fight between him and Frank going within that paddy. And they're like, okay, and they take their shoes off, and they just started fighting each other like full speed in front of everybody. And, and then they turn and look at me, and they're like, "Is that okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's, <laughs> this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life." You know, it was, like, it, it was one of those like, "How am I even getting to like give you guys any approval on what you do as good?" Like, I, I, you're you're way better at this than I am. Um, so that was that was definitely like, oh my god, we're 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 kind of like in a totally different place than where this thing could have been by a bunch of different lucky things of course the luckiest of all is that I wrote it for Frank uh I wanted him to be the star and that I I this is I wrote it the year before the purge I wrote it after the gray and really um warrior was the one that I was like that's the guy and and then I I saw that the purge came out and it did good business. I mean, people that I think that purge anarchy made like 75 million domestic, which is nuts on that budget, which is like 10 million, I think. And so I was like, oh, we're, we're probably not going to be able to get this guy now, you know, like he's, he's on to to bigger and better things. And it just happened to like fit his window. And he was like, this is in my wheelhouse. Um, You know, I want it to be really different from the first one. And we worked together on the script, uh, I think mainly the first act. And then um, then obviously once we got Eco and Yayan on board, he was just like overjoyed. And I was like, I want to add a get to know you fight. And he's like, yes, you know, absolutely. So we just kept adding fights. Like even that fight with um, very that eco's introduction fight was not in the script. It was just like, you know, we had it the day before they came. I was like, maybe you, the guy just comes up from behind and you get into a fight there. And they're like, oh, okay, sir. And they, you know, <laughs> they did that one in a day. Um, so yeah, that, that ended up being really like a, a crazy dream come true. And, uh, it was a marathon production. Cause we did have to pause in the middle for Frank to shoot a completely different movie. And he came back with slightly different hair, a higher fade, but those are the things you have to live with. Um, uh, and yeah, it, it ended up, um, kind of working in a, in a really great way because like it, it was so different from the sequel That And it had such kind of low expectations. People were not expecting this thing to like uh, over-deliver, I guess, in a way that it did and uh, indulge in as many various excesses uh, of all all my different kind of um, likes and uh, and, and fetishes in a way uh, all into this one kind of uh, kitchen sink movie.
1: Yeah, no, I think it um, really came across because... You know you were talking about how it switches genres um you know it's the fact that there's just a fight with um you know two dudes from the raid that was um you know when i was watching it for the first time like i was really enjoying that i mean it's the kind of
0: movie where frank Grillo will head stab an alien while a kaiju battle is going on in the background you know so like yeah if that's not <sighs> cinema at this <laughs>
2: point i don't i don't know what is you gotta listen to his efforts. It's always like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I can hear him. So like, like in my sleep, but it was like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it really does a great job of that. But even that, like that one where he gets the, the claw and stabs it in its head on that first time, like that wasn't even really scripted out that much. It was like, we did that, wrote that little extra piece over lunch and tied everything together on that day. And. A couple of different really like happy accidents that if i i look back it is probably that experience of like abpr of like having to completely change things you know right before you shoot it and not losing your um cool over it and kind of writing it out and i think um yeah that that was definitely me learning the job uh on beyond skyline and i would definitely have to mention um you know the producer matthew chaus who came on to be on skyline and really pushed uh, to make it, you know, uh, to push everything up a level. And he also did skylines and, and the DP of beyond skyline is Christopher Probst, who uh, is longtime collaborator with Joseph Kahn. Uh, he shot uh, the pilot for Manhunter with David Fincher after this movie. So that means at some point in his life, like David Fisher had to have like seen at least the trailer for Beyond Skyline, which makes me kind of laugh. Like, <laughs> be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah. So, so he. Uh, it, but, but, but probes was like, especially for a first timer, he taught me so much, and it was like yeah. I could, I could always rely on him to know, um, you know, like how crazy I would be, and and where we would do. But I, I, I really felt like because I was a first timer, I I would, I would think of like shooting everything in like these kind of handheld masters. Um, and I, I I don't think I had such a great understanding of like how to actually break things down on the shot list level. Like my shot list never held up to what I did that day. I would constantly be changing them so much. And, um, I think that was the, the genesis of like, on the third one, it was very much like what i ended up shot listing would be what we shot and i got a lot better at uh adequately prepping and uh and kind of preparing everybody for what we're going to do that day
0: yeah so how how did the the reception for skylines uh like how how did you respond to that because i at the very least i think it was as well received if not more so uh better received than beyond skyline like i only say more so because like Scott Mendelson from like Forbes wrote about like this is the sci-fi blockbuster sequel that never gets made and it finally got made you know cuz like Pacific Rim Uprising the cliffhanger is we're going to take the fight to them Independence Day 2 we're going to take the fight to them that fight never happens and Skylines or Skyline 3 is the movie that actually does that you know right. so like what was right. what was the reception to that like and you know we got asked about the potential reunions happening in a possible skyline four, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I'd still say, I, I guess if you look at like the, the ratings of it, I'd still, I guess beyond skyline is still probably the, the nudges it out a little bit. Some of that I think comes from certain people, not enjoying uh, female leads as much as male leads uh, mm-hmm. or we'll, we'll put them in the box over there. But um, I do think, you know, considering I myself don't really like legacy sequels. So I kind of get it when all of a sudden the the lead changes on the next movie. Um, And so that was kind of also something I was actively kind of working on the whole time to kind of make it feel like it was a new movie that was um, you know, working in a new genre and, and also had enough of the callbacks to the last one for the things that you enjoyed while doing something different. But I will say, like, um, the, the genesis of Skylines is different than, I'd say, Beyond and, and, and even the more recent Sky 4, was that it was like, I knew I had to kind of, I, you know, like Greg and Colin Strauss, uh, they own the rights for the franchise, and I felt like I really had to appeal to them to get that movie made. And I knew that they were like the two biggest Aliens fans in the world. So I was kind of writing that original pitch for like an audience of two. Like if I can convince them that we get to do like a skyline version of Aliens, then they're going to pay me. And this thing will actually have a good chance of getting made. And it did. So there's definitely like some of that, uh, you know, very tactical approach into the conception of that one. Um, And then while you're in that kind of like, I'm doing a riff on that. It's like, well, now I have my own characters and how do I kind of push them into their own idiosyncratic direction so that it, it takes on a life of its own. And some of the things that ended up people being like, oh, this is, this is it, that, you know, you ripped this off from Aliens, it was not conscious whatsoever. Like uh, it just ended up being like, you know, we, we had set up that there's pilots driving the tankers in the first movie which is another criticism that came out in 2010 Pacific Rim comes out in 2014 and then beyond skyline 2017 people are like, well, the ending is just a ripoff of Pacific Rim. And I was like, we had a fucking Kaiju getting steered, you know, four years before that movie came out. It's, not, it was not really anything. the The only thing that was a real takeaway for beyond skyline was, to Pacific Rim was like the the cockpit shots, and I just looked at the way they did the cockpit, and I was like, "Well, there's no way I can afford that." You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we just had them uh, on green with like two green things, and we had uh, a literal movie projector that my old roommate Matthew Santoro put a bunch of motion graphics, GAC, just blasting onto the the aliens' faces. So it was just kind of like this interactive like weird alien um, motion lights that then could, you know, help tie in the alien light energy that we did in the cockpits for that one. Um, So anyway, tangent there, but then people on the third one would be like, and then she gets in the tanker and she rides a tanker and it's just like the power lifter in aliens. And I was like, that had nothing to do with that. It was really just the fact that, you know, I, I'd I'd set up that there that was going to happen in the first movie in my mind, it was like, eventually one of the heroes is going to get one of these. Um, We did have a big Kaiju battle in the third that that was the first thing that got cut budget wise so it's like I'm still I'm still trying to keep more of the beyond skyline energy in there but um, it was such an ambitious um, space story and space shots are incredibly time consuming and hard to do, Um, but I will give one um, it's a really kind of simple tip for any uh, upcoming filmmaker if you're doing anything that with visual effects in it and you have to screen it for people, it is worth taking a few days and ripping similar type shots from other movies and just cutting them in and using it to, for your edit. I mean, obviously, I, I think the the, I'm not sure if he even did it, but the, the person I heard that did this was uh, Lucas for the first Star Wars, where they, they would take the old World War II dogfight movies and that's how they cut together like a previs of, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ending on the Death Star. And so I basically did that for all of the space stuff um, before I did a screening for any investors and everything. And it helped so much because I'd learned a real tough lesson on Beyond Skyline and showing the movie with still kind of green screen or missing slugs to people. And I'd be like, we've been making this thing for a year. It looks great. Did you see what it looked like a year ago? Oh, wait, you didn't, you know? (laughs) So like never, ever show anything uh, to anyone with unfinished VFX. It's better off to just take, like, we did a bunch of stuff from Armageddon, Star Trek, Star Trek Beyond, and we just cut different things with the Enterprise in, and people could understand that the ship was crashing. And could watch the movie and and at the end be like oh yeah well this could be tighter and that could be tighter but they weren't like oh boy you have got real problems here which is what they would do if they had seen something where you're just cutting to people with like a slight camera shake and then a black space yeah so never ever show anything with black slugs to anybody it's it's a worthless experience and experiment
1: yeah i mean wouldn't that also just take them out of the movie too yeah, it, the- it,
2: it 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 it's weird because it doesn't take me out of the movie because yeah. I, don't, I don't know it's like it, I've just trained myself that like that's how you, you have to watch it before it gets to be that so it but it takes a lot of people out. Um, people can't watch. It was also like like working at Hydraulics, you get a lot of daily lead sequences. Um, and I wasn't really involved in the VFX, but I always like to see what they were working on and they would all be in various states of completion. And so you're just used to seeing things that aren't done yet with visual effects, you know? Like, yeah. And, and so your brain kind of gets trained in a different way, but normal audiences are like, they would be dumbfounded by it. And it, like some of the stuff people do where they're like, like uh, take out just the reaction shots of like Emmerich movies and people laugh at it. It's like, yeah, of course. Why, why would the reaction shots look amazing? without the other footage for it. it it's a it's it, I get the joke, but you could do that to almost anything.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good lesson. The yeah good lesson for any aspiring filmmakers. And I guess that goes to one of the questions that we had was just um, you know, because we're getting a Liam O'Don Liam O'Donnell uh film school here. Um <laughs> do you have any um advice for any people starting their own crews in the industry?
2: Um you know, I was just had like an in real life movie argument with a writer friend of mine, and um, he, he's, you know, he comes from a different school, whereas I'm in the indie, you know, sci fi thing, and he was kind of crapping on some of my heroes and saying that their their stuff wasn't original enough, and I just was thinking about him and I was like, you know, originality is really overrated. I, I really like the first skyline. I was like all about like, oh, and then we're going to do this ending. That's never been done before. And people hated it. Like, <laughs> you know, like execution is really king. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, trying, I, I think in general, like there's a huge thing to be like fresh, fresh, fresh. And to me, I just feel like learn how to, to, to actually do the fundamentals and execute to, to manipulate the images and the music and the sound and to create the moments that you wanna create. That's actually, you know, the real nuts and bolts of this thing. It's not to me so much about doing something or communicating something that's never been communicated before because the likelihood of that actually happening is, you know, one in a million. You know, we've we've been making these these movies now for over a hundred years. There's more movies than we'd ever all be able to watch in a lifetime right now if they stopped making them so the this the 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 white whale of like i want to do something i've never seen before originally try to do something that is like well executed and 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 actually captures the vibe and the spirit that you know inspires you and, and 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 translate that through the whole process from idea to script um to the shoot to post that is to me like what was I felt like sort of a breakthrough in less trying to um, you know, necessarily do something that I, I'd never seen before and then try to do something that um, was more about the characters than like some type of outside perception of uniqueness or originality. It's more like, and I, I felt like that's even with with Skyline, Four, which we, I've talked to Diego about, but um, it's it's still very much in the early stages, but I didn't even write a pitch for it. I didn't write a overall treatment because I felt so comfortable with the characters. They, they were kind of talking so loudly. I kind of went through it scene by scene and I'd never written a script that way before, uh, but it, it made sense for this one. It was a longer process. But it again was like, it was more about executing like the character story. And I'm not really worried about, oh my God, if that beat feels like this beat or that beat. It, it's really like, you know, communicate, um, find, find your originality within your characters. And don't think about like, don't try to be like super original with your theme or with your plot. But Cause that, if you go macro with the originality you actually get in trouble. The originality comes within the characters. I don't know if that is like some big rule that can apply to everything. I just found like that was a breakthrough for me uh, personally, uh, especially on these movies that I'm trying to make. Cause I, I, I definitely feel like my um, experience is all kind of very in a niche. It's very specific and getting to run with this weird little franchise for so long has been a, a real privilege.
0: Uh, speaking on that special little franchise, uh, I want to shout out your, cause you, you got the raid guys for beyond and That's like a, a high bar and I promise we, we were keeping you a while. So we'll wrap up soon, but like you got to follow up the raid guys with Daniel Bernhardt, who is like currently killing it with 87 11 and doing the John Wake movies, birds of prey, uh, all that stuff. What was it like working with him and Lindsay Morgan, who fans of like the hundred, like me, like are, are mega fans of, and uh yeah. What was it like working with
2: those two actors? Uh, well, yeah, I can do Daniel, really quickly, is like, it, it was such a great sort of like MVP and and having it like, you know, he's in the most fights of the movie kind of secretly, but he's always, he's like doing all this sort of heavy lifting for us. And he's such a great, um, you know, action performer. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, but he's really, really easy to work with. And really what... <laughs> like you know want to talk about his character so much that like anytime I went down into the hotel like have a soup like all of a sudden he'd settle up next to me with (laughs) the script and we'd go through everything and uh he's a real sweetheart and he he would even like show up onto the day where James Cosmo was doing his monologue by the fire and just wanted to watch James Cosmo and I feel like he is like a little bit of that attitude not a little bit a lot of that attitude I was talking about when I was like Oh, I met these guys and they're like, they were killing it. So I just like showed up every day and was like, Hey, uh, like, I'm here to work with you and made myself like available and then kind of made myself indispensable. And I feel like he has that, like, where he's just like, he puts this energy out there that like, he, he just wants to be a part of this thing. And you end up using more of him than you ever thought you were going to, because he's, he's giving you so much. Um, you know, one of the things that I—if if the movie had a slightly bigger budget, there's more of him killing so many aliens in that uh, scene uh, on on Cobalt One in the beginning. But like every single shot of them was a CG shot, so it ended up becoming like I, it's not like in a place where they're in the suits where I could just sneak a little bit more in and, and it's easier to you know make them finished. It was like no, they're 3D animated aliens on every single shot. So um, you know, I. Uh, we both wish that there was still a little bit even more of him in the movie. Um, and then Lindsay was uh, one that was like, I mean, it's such a weird, weird thing that, that it ended up working out as well as it did. Because if you even look at how she was cast, it's like, uh, you know, I, I found the, this little girl, um, Elena, in Asia in like 2014. And she's, um, I think her father is uh, a New Zealander. And her mother was Australian. So she's an interesting, you know, mixed little girl with these big dark eyes, was quite sweet and uh, had just a great um, chemistry with Boyana on Beyond Skyline. And so then like in, when we we're in post on Beyond Skyline and we we're trying to figure out the wrap ups to the ending because that wasn't originally in the movie. And it was like, well, how do I find someone that kind of matches this girl? She's got a really unique look. And um, I had watched the first season of the 100 and I was like you, I was a really big fan of, uh, of Raven. And it was just kind of like going through IMDb and seeing Lindsay's face again and be like, oh my God, it looks like her, that's her. And uh, reaching out to her and she had actually knew our DP, Christopher Propes, because they did detention together. And she came in for a day, we did that end scene. And uh, I was like, oh my, it really felt like we hit the tone of, of what I wanted the movie to kind of be and what I definitely wanted the next movie to be when she was like joking with Trent in the hallway. I was like, oh yeah, this is really, I felt very comfortable there. So that was, it was after that shoot day that really inspired writing Skylines and being like, oh, I, I, I think I know this whole Trent and Rose rapport could support an entire movie, um, which is again, an insane thing to think about. Um, so yeah that that ended up uh, inspiring this whole thing and then going off and writing this script for her and then coming back and be like you know like we're friends but we only worked a day together so like I don't know like I don't really know this person and uh, and so then when she shows up you know we we, we had uh, we had one um, lunch in Hollywood where after she read the script and she was really excited about it and we talked about her character a lot and then you know, uh, when she came to, to Lithuania and working with her, you know, in prep for that month and then really being like connecting and uh, having a real blast. And I think even by the very end, it was just like, it, everybody was so in sync on that movie. And it, it wasn't the marathon type production of, of Beyond Skyline that had to go for six months and then have this long post where we're waiting you know, for VFX shots forever. It was like everything was was a real condensed, like within a year. And I think that that helps morale in a, in a, in a lot of ways, especially for me. And so that whole experience was just like uh, really, really smooth sailing all the way through. And uh, our great cast with like Alexander Siddig and Rona Mitra and Jonathan Howard was the late addition that really kind of brought a lot of camaraderie and tied it together. And he was a very generous male lead who is uh, quite often the punching bag of the female <laughs> lead, you know, both on in the writing and in and literally a punching bag. And so having someone who's like, you know, got that, you know, he's got that like Marvel chops and he's kind of tying everything together. Um, he was our, our, our sort of like comedic MVP on that movie. Hmm.
0: Yeah, man, uh, as, as we wrap up, uh, I want to thank you for joining us today, but we got to ask uh, what you got coming down the pipeline besides Skyline 4, which obviously I, I'll be waiting. Yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. Uh.
2: Well, yeah. You know, the, the other big project that was announced this summer, um, which we talked about earlier that the, the shark boy summer was the wreck, um, which is still in, in could happen. Uh, it, it was definitely, we we're going, I was actually supposed to be in Malta already and we we're going to be shooting, uh, next month. That's not happening. Uh, had some, uh, producer had to push back the shoot. I won't go too far into it, but hopefully still get to make a shark movie. I was really excited to work with, um, the DP Mark silk, who did the 47 meters down series and, uh, and to actually shoot something practically on sets underwater is a real challenge. It's like kind of making a completely different type of movie. Uh, while still scratching my wannabe James Cameron itch. So um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think that's why it was so appealing to me. Um, and then uh, um, yeah. And then uh, other than that, there's the, there's always the, my white whale is this last Savage project that I've been trying to get together for years um, that hopefully down the line. And and there's another project I've talked a little bit about called like, we kind of pitch it as the blade as blade meets the raid um, that, there's been a little bit of interest on as well, uh, but yeah, there's also other things that you just never know when they'll come up. But um, yeah, I'm still still hoping for the wreck, and then um, you know, hopefully, we're shooting Skyline Radial next summer.
1: Nice, yeah, that's now that's all amazing.
0: Yeah, man, uh, Mr. Thank Liam you. McDonald, thank you so much for joining us, Gene. Any last questions for our guests before we head out?
1: Oh no, I just want to thank Liam. Thank you for your time, and uh, you know, it was really just awesome like picking your brain throughout this uh whole conversation
2: okay good i hope i didn't tell everybody to like stop being original uh oh, no. <laughs> i'm still I'm still dissecting that take i was like I don't know, i'm not sure if that was yeah. it right. but it was kind of like you know it, it, it's more it's more i think just more look to your characters more as and less trying to break the mold yeah the it,
1: outside it was almost like a Joseph Campbell sort of uh, Hero of a Thousand Faces, you know, sort of, uh, sort of lesson, I would say.
2: Yeah, I think, I think when, it just depends on, you know, how, when a movie idea comes to you in what form. Because I think, like, I, when I was younger, I would get, like, the big idea. Like, I would get, like, the log line. Mm-hmm. And um, now it's like, I'll, like, the big breakthrough for and 4 was just the character conflict between the two leads. And I I had an opening, I had no ending, but I was like, oh, I know what their intergenerational conflict will be. And I knew what the, it would be from first act one to act three. And so I just wrote to that and everything came out better. I think that way, which, so, you know, no, no right or wrong way to do it, but it is just those little tips along the way.
0: Yeah. Again, thank you so much. And, uh, where can people find your other thoughts online or do, (laughs) I guess some people are like, no, I don't care about sharing my social media handles uh, i don't know uh, no want... it's
2: fine yeah yeah, yeah. no uh, l-i-a-m-o-d-i-n at, at, at twitter and uh, instagram and um yeah hopefully I, I i try to stay positive that's what i said I, I i say nice things about movies so if you if you just want to hear about the latest thing like we said black hat great film <laughs> not sure why anyone didn't like that when it came out people are wrong quite often
1: People, people are very wrong about Black
0: Hat. Yeah. I, Film Twitters Still, are the only people that understand.
1: The truth. Yeah, a lot of people are wrong Yeah, about Black Hat, you know? Yeah, Just give it another shot.
0: Give it a shot. Yeah, it's a great movie. Give it a shot. Let's get that director's cut legally available for everyone. Again, Liam, thank you so much. Gene, where can the people find you as well?
1: Find me on Twitter on G9892. And you can find me
0: at the... Diego Crespo on Twitter, no longer Instagram. That's a whole other thing. Uh, We're going to get it back.
2: We're going to get it back. We need to start a (laughs) a petition. Instagram has no support system. That's that's the worst. Anyone who lives outside of Instagram headquarters, you need to storm the castle and get Diego his handle back. Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. it's mine. Give it back. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. That's a whole other... I could have a whole other podcast about trying to get that back to But until then, you could also find the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. We can get early access to stuff like the final episodes of the Legend of Quarry retrospective. Uh, we're wrapping up our failed blockbusters retrospective. They may be failed at the box office or critically, but they're not failed in our hearts. Maybe one of them. Uh, we'll let you guess which one it is if you check them all out. But thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for Liam for joining us. We have been professionally unprofessional you <laughs>